0: If we we'll would turn to the Bible to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This is our last Sunday of 2019. And I wanted us to look here at Psalm 90. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you know that I, in a very, very short little little message, we also looked at Psalm 90, but it's so good that I wanted us to spend more time here. So that's where we are. Folks, we are three days away from 2020. Can you believe it? 2020. I can't believe that we've made it this far. I can't believe that uh, we're in that year, 2020. It seems like that is so futuristic, right? I remember being a little kid and wondering if by the year 2000, we would be uh, flying around in planes and not cars. And now we're at 2020, and we still drive the same old cars. But it seems like 2020 is just so, so far down the road. I feel like time is flying by, and, and, and it is. And I said this on on Christmas Eve that it gets me thinking about time and that makes me emotional. And you know, just the honest truth is that uh, life does go by quickly. It really does. And we, we want so much. We all know well enough to enjoy it and slow down and embrace it, but it's just moving so quickly. And when you realize that, you inevitably you will find yourself saying well we've got to focus on the most important things and you've got to say we've got to make sure we're not living with regret and we've got to make sure that we're not wasting our time or god forbid our lives well, how do we do that the answer truly is to seek god That's the answer, folks, to seek God. It's not to go and do something necessarily. It is to seek God. That's the answer. And we want to be able to do that. And Psalm 90 is gonna be an excellent way for us to end 2019 and step us, push us, launch us into a new year. I'm not talking New Year's resolutions type of mindsets. I'm talking seeking the Lord. Read with me, if you will, from Psalm 90. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 is a prayer. It's a prayer for Moses. This is the only psalm where we are told that Moses wrote it. We have lots of psalms. Maybe there are a couple other that Moses wrote. Some people think that 91 that comes right after it, that it was written by Moses, but this is the only one written by Moses. Moses was way before David who wrote a lot of the Psalms. Moses was that one early on in the Bible. Moses is the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Those first five books, the law or the Torah, the Pentateuch were written by Moses, but Moses also wrote this one. You see there, there's a, there's a little heading on it, uh, not the from everlasting to everlasting or if yours says something like that, but the part underneath that. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. This is a prayer. And you can see that Moses here is feeling the heaviness of life and how quickly it passes and the need to really get settled. Oh, there's such a need for all of us to feel settled. Every one of us are wishing, I wish this busyness would just slow down. We could settle down a little bit. We use that word a lot, don't we? I'm just going to get past all of these bills, and then I'm going to settle down a little bit and not spend as much, right? When this season ends, we're going to have some time. We're going to slow down a little bit. I've said that so many times, but they've figured it out. The next season begins before one season ends, and so it just rolls over, right? And next thing you know, you're 40 years old. This is the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. He's feeling all of that. But it's a little bit more heartfelt than what you and I are used to. Remember the story of the people of Israel? Remember the wandering? Remember the stuck in the wilderness? Remember we don't don't have a home? Remember how it all began with Abraham where he asked Abram to step outside and said, I'm gonna take you somewhere. And Abraham said, where? He said, I'll show you when you get there. You remember that? That's the story, right? That's the story of the Old Testament, that God is leading his people somewhere, and eventually they'll get there, and so they truly, in so many ways, never really have a home. They wanted a king. God said, I'm your king. He said, no, we want a king here. Well, they were longing for things that helped them feel settled or secure or uh, things are going to be okay, and, and that never really came. And if you read the Bible, you quickly see God is wanting them to to know and to believe he is that. It's not the right type of house. It's not let me buy this house that we can stay in forever. It's not the right type of place. It's not the right type of setting. It's not if I can get my kids into this certain place or this certain school. None of that settles you. And some of you all know that. Some of you all are learning the hard way. None of that settles you. God is to be the thing that settles us. Moses is wrestling there, and he's praying, God, teach us this. God, teach us to know that you are the end goal. You are the foundation. You are the treasure. He begins his prayer with this. i got three points today. Number one, the permanence of the everlasting God he is absolutely permanent this is where he begins and and to be honest folks this is where we should begin with everything let's start with God regardless of what we're dealing with let's start with God let's get a good understanding of who he is and so he prays Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations imagine a prayer in the plural our dwelling place God, you are our home. You are our our settledness. Throughout every generation, God, it's you. It's not back there where we started. It's not the Garden of Eden, that's for sure. We got kicked out of there. It's not the wilderness. We hated that place. We wanted to go back. We begged to go back. We told God, if this is where you were bringing us, then take us back. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt. That was better for us. And if you remember, they hated being slaves in Egypt. You remember that? Talk about not knowing what settles you. They prayed for God to get them out of Egypt. They prayed for God to take them back to Egypt. They didn't know what they wanted because they wouldn't trust. They wouldn't believe that God would settle them. And Moses here knows perhaps at the end of life, perhaps at the end of the wandering, Moses knows this and he says, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Listen, if you're in a stage of life, and that could be so many different stages of life, where you think, man, I'm just not settled. I should be further along at this age. I should be doing this. I should be more successful. I should have more of this. I shouldn't be so stressed out. I shouldn't be so busy. I shouldn't be running all over the place. I shouldn't have so much debt. I shouldn't, I shouldn't. If if that's you, listen, hear the prayer of Moses. Make Psalm 90 verse one your prayer and say, God, you are my dwelling place. You are the thing that settles me down. It's not this job, it's not this bank account, it's not this health, God. Those things don't settle me. I've been wanting them to settle me for quite some time, but they're not doing it. I'm still not settled. God, you settle me. Now here's the thing, God's not gonna settle you if you don't believe him. You have to believe. You have to bow your heart to him. You have to trust, you have to obey, you have to believe. You have to believe, you have to believe. You have to believe, have to believe God. God, you are our dwelling place. You are and you have been, and that's the only answer. And he gets at that because he knows how permanent God is. Words like infinite, words like eternal, words like permanence are what he draws from with God. Verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When you talk to people of this world, the wise people, those that don't believe in God, but they really believe in, in good vibes and positivity and all that, those type of people who, like they're, who say things like they're really in tune with the universe right now, right? People who talk like that. And there are a lot of people that talk like that. A lot of people in my world, a lot of people that I know who talk like that, right? They have to appeal to the mountains. But notice, Moses knows there's somebody that made those mountains. There's somebody who was there before those mountains, before the mountains were brought forth, before you ever formed anything, God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is a beautiful, beautiful description of God knowing how eternal, how infinite God is in both directions. All the way into the future, go as long as you want to, God is there all the way into the past, go as long as you want to, and God is there. And this means something to Moses. This settles him. There is nothing, there is nowhere that you will find yourself in the future, 2020, 2030, 2050, 3020, however long in the future we go, where God will not be there. And it's been that way in the past. And Moses, Moses is praying because of that. One commentator says, from everlasting to everlasting, this is the highest description of the eternity of God to which human language can reach. God's lifetime had no beginning and it can have no end. His eternity is not measured. It is without the succession of moments, years, hours, days, ages, or cycles. Listen to this. And the special design of Moses speaking in this way here is to contrast it with the brevity of man's earthly existence. It will settle a finite person like you to cast your hope on an infinite God. It will settle you. And while all of your, I know you feel unsettled at times, but everybody else in your world feels unsettled too. The thing that will settle them is the very thing that will settle you. It's the only thing that settles. It is God. It's God's character. It's the permanence of the everlasting God. Moses recognizes in verse three that you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Verse four, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Moses recognizes that God is so big that when you really start to nail down time and things like that, it's different when you're speaking of God. See, God is so unique. He is the only one. He is eternal He's so good. He is completely good. He's altogether good. And he exists outside of time. You have to to start thinking about this. Moses knows that. See, you and I think about time. How many many more years do we have left? I mean, what if 2020 is the last year? I mean, what what if I die in 2020? What what what, What if something bad happens in 2020? What if we win the lottery in 2020, right? We start thinking about time, and Moses goes well beyond that. Notice that Moses is not saying things like, God, if we do this, God, then we're really going to have the best year of my life. Moses is looking to the eternality of God, the permanence of God, that God is everlasting and that settles him. This is his prayer. His prayer is not a wish, his prayer is not a good luck charm. His prayer is talking to the God who is that permanent. You have to know this. We can't just jump to the good things he's about to talk about. And you know the high point of this, of this psalm is verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days. That, that's, that's the high point of this psalm. But you don't just want to jump there. It is so Postmodern, it is so worldly to be all about teach me to number my days, New Year's resolutions, best year of my life coming up, right? That sort of thing, without understanding the everlasting God. It, 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 it It will frustrate you even more. You will be even more unsettled. But as your prayer begins with the everlasting God, with who God is and how eternal and infinite He is, that will do something to you. You know, Christmas is special and I know it's hard on a lot of people. I've been thinking a lot about that. This morning, this morning, I've had four different people tell me how hard it was because it was their first Christmas without a loved one. Today, here in our church, four different people, four different households told me that today. It's hard. I know that. At the stage I'm at, it's wonderful. With five little kids soaking it all up, it's outstanding. And we worked really hard to read the Bible and study that with them uh, every day from, from Thanksgiving, basically, in the Advent season. And it's neat to see them. And some of the older ones, you know, they've, they've been there, done that. They could, they could pretty much tell you that. You know, it's fascinating to see how well kids can soak things up. You're teaching your kids something. I'm not sure what you're teaching them, but you're all teaching them something. And, and you'd be fascinated if you ever sat down and really talked in depth with your kids because they know a lot. They know a whole lot about a lot of things. Now, it may, be, it may be Fortnite, it may be the iPad, and it may be all the technology that they're into, but they know a lot about a lot of things. So if you will teach them about God, they'll know a lot about that. And our older kids could tell the story too, but you know we have a younger one. We have a little girl that's four. And so really, in some ways, she's still just getting into it every night, it would, it would be something new to her. And she'd say, well, what's that? We use an ornament to help us teach each night going through the story. And she'd say, well, what's that up there for? And we know what that's for. And she would ask some questions. You know, you start to teach kids, man, they'll hit you with some good answers. They'll hit you with some good questions. And <clears throat> I remember one time, we're talking about God and How big he is like this. you know. It's it's always a good study. This morning in our prayer time here at church at 9 o'clock, somebody here here prayed about how big God is. Anytime you're doing a Bible study with kids, you want to emphasize how big he is, what Moses is doing. He's everlasting to everlasting. I remember one time my, my little girl asked, who made God? You've heard kids ask that before, right? That's a good question. You've asked that before. That's a great question. This is what Moses needs us to understand. Y'all, this is what your heart needs to understand. God wasn't made, He doesn't need anything, He is completely self existent. God is God. He is the only God. He is the everlasting God. He is the creator God. And before anything was ever made, God was there in Himself forever. And when you believe this, it will do something to you. It will. It will work inside of you. It will settle your sinful, distracted, depressed heart. It will. That your maker knows you. That your maker loves you. That your maker cares. That your maker is there. That he's real. And Moses is now appealing to this. He prays in regards to the permanence of the everlasting God. But he quickly brings that comforting truth to shed light on the second one. Number two. The problem of the finite person. I didn't say much about this at Christmas Eve. The problem of the finite person. Psalm 90 really, okay, is a depressing psalm. It's a lowly and discouraged prayer of Moses. Life is such a downer in So many ways that without putting your focus on God, there is no looking up. And here's what he is recalling to mind. Verse three, in light of this eternal God, he says, you return man to dust. No doubt reminding us that we were made out of the dust. God made Adam out of the dirt and we will return there. You know that. When you die, you will either be cremated or buried. Quickly going back to dust. He remembers this. And while that is the way it is for us, and while it is that our lives pass by really quickly for every single one of us, it is not that way with God. He never was dust and He never will be dust. He's always, always, always God from everlasting to everlasting. And when you start to think about that, how unsettled we are in who we are, it is very settling to think about who He is. And this Problem of the finite person, it comes to light. Verse five, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. He's describing how brief our lives are. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Life passes so very quickly. Verse seven, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. What he's referring to here is that the reason why we are not infinite is because we are sinners that die. Now, this is a big, heavy truth for Christianity. It is. But the reason why we die is because we have sinned. I'm not saying you sin and then die as a consequence of that that individual specific sin. I'm not saying that, and you know that. You've sinned before and you didn't die. What I am saying is that because we sin, we will die. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were going to live forever, and God told them that they could do whatever they wanted to, just do not eat of that specific tree, for the day they eat of it, they will surely die. They disobeyed. They ate of it. And because of that, they are now under a curse. They were under a curse of which they would die. And because of that, now all of humanity, every human being ever, the ones in the videos that we watch, the ones that are in our town, in your family, in your neighborhood, the ones that live in your home are under the curse of sin and they will die. Every human being will die. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what Moses is referring to. The wages of sin is death. Let me explain it to you just a little bit better. Just listen up. This is Romans chapter five. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If you sin, you will die. I don't know when you're going to die but I know you are going to die. And if you don't believe me, then just do a quick look in the mirror. You look different than you used to. I got a haircut just a couple weeks ago and she had a conversation with me about how much it's receding right here. I said, if it's time to just shave it all off, you let me know. And all that means is I'm not gonna have hair forever. And all that means is I'm not gonna live forever. I'm gonna die. And so are you. And this is what Moses is thinking about. And if you think about it too much, listen, if you think about it too much, it will start to bother you, okay? But the answer is not to never think about it and therefore be absolutely ruined when it comes time to die. That is foolish, The answer is to take those thoughts to God, the everlasting God, and say, God, help me to understand why my hair is receding. Help me to understand why I'm getting older. Help me to understand why I'm dying. And help me to understand purpose in it. But the obvious truth here, and this is what Moses is dealing with, is that we're going to die. The problem of the finite person, we are not God. One commentator says this, this verse reveals the awful secret not before announced in this prayer that death is penal, meaning it is a punishment. Now, you know that Christians today live in the whole world of being politically incorrect. You just gotta be okay with that, all right? You just gotta be okay with that. There's a whole huge list of things that you and I believe that the world does not agree with, right? And if you say them out loud, loud enough in certain settings, yes, you're going to get in trouble for it. You need to be ready to get in trouble for it. You need to be ready to be opposed for it, made fun for it, lose your job for it, you know, all of those things. Be ready for that because that's the reality. One of them is that death is penal. Death is a punishment. The everlasting God does not let people live forever anymore because we have sinned against him. But as you know, that is not the end of the message. That's not the end of the story. That's not all of it. We do not stop there. He goes on though, I'm not gonna get to that yet, but he goes on speaking of the problem of the finite person and in verse eight he says, you have set our iniquities before you. You must deal with this. Your sins are not first and foremost messing up your life. They are messing up your life. And you're all trying to decide if they really are, right? When you get all worked up and your attitude and anger is so ugly, you're trying to see if the consequences are bad enough for you to stop being that way, right? When we live as sinful people, we try to balance it. Is it really ruining my life or is it not? Or can I keep living like this and have a decent life? No, no, no. That is not the way you live. What he is saying here is that God has set our sins before God. Does everybody see that in verse 8? You have set our iniquities before you and then Moses just does what any real, faithful, godly person does. He just calls it straight, even our secret sins. So Moses isn't here talking about the ones that you know with and you're honest with and I'm asking God to help me with it. You know, I'm just really trying to do a better job of reading my Bible. I really should be better at it and stuff like that. I'm really trying to bite my tongue a little bit more. No, not the ones that you will admit. The ones that you still have not admitted. The secret sins—the ones that you know, if you're honest, are keeping you from obedience. The ones that you know are keeping you from living to God. And you know what? In in some ways, many of us are dealing with this. We are wrestling with things in our heart that are supposed to be faithfully committed to Christ, and we've not done it yet. It's a struggle. It may be people, it may be money, it may be time management, it may be self-image, it could be so many different things. It could be a grudge that we're holding, but here he calls it a secret sin, to which one commentator says beautifully, secret sins, sins are secret only to man, never to God. God knows them all. And If you care, that will matter to you. There are some things right now, listen to me, that we have in our lives where we say things like, if my husband or wife ever found out, they would kill me. They would leave me. If my mom or dad ever found out, they would disown me. Many people live with those secret sins. Guess what? Moses is helping you here. You're not the only person that knows. God knows. God knows. He knows them all. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse nine, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Life passes quickly. James 4 says that life is a vapor. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. And that's the truth, isn't it? Where has the time gone? Where has the time gone? Doesn't it seem like just the other day that we were celebrating 2000? 2000? Doesn't seem like just the other day we were celebrating 2010? Doesn't it seem like just the other day you were getting married or graduating high school or something like that? And now we're here. And this is what Moses is saying. Man, the time flies by. It passes away. You bring our ears to an, your ears to an end. It's like a sigh. They're soon gone. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, if you don't focus on God, you will either do something like this. None of it matters. None of it matters at all doesn't matter at all, so I'll just be depressed. I'll just not care about anything. I'll, I'll find no meaning in anything. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You'll be okay with sin. You'll learn to not feel conviction. You'll drift further and further away from God and power and life and joy and peace and the things that God wants, to be, wants for you to have in your lives. Or, okay, you just won't, you, so that way you, you just won't care about much. Or... You'll spin it in this ever delusional attempt that I've got to make it awesome. I mean, I've got to get to the Grand Canyon. I've got to go travel the world. I've got to save up this. I've got to do that. i got to do I've got to finish off my bucket list. I've got to make a bucket list. I've got to come with all these awesome things that I should be doing because all my friends are doing them, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll get in that type of mindset and we'll act like that is really going to make me happy. And that's cool. If you can do it, do it. It's not going to make you happy though. If you're focused on God as you do all things, all those types of things, awesome. You'll really be living your best life. But if you think that, apart from resolving to focus on God, is going to be what settles you, it won't. I can show you some people who've been in the Grand Canyon and back, they're back here in Louisville depressed. I'm serious. I can show you some people, they've been bucket listing all the time. They got them a job. They're making money. They're doing all of those things. They come back here, back to the same old. God is what settles Everlasting to everlasting, that guy, that God, that foundation, that is what settles us, and Moses knows this. In John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, which is a classic, he says this. I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call Earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget about the war that I'm in. I don't think much about people dying. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I stop trying to be obedient. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do and not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Moses is thinking about the problem of the finite person. And what's got him thinking this way is he's thinking on the permanence of the everlasting God. That's a good place to be. Folks, you need to hear today. I hope 2020 is a great year. But I have to be honest. We don't know what 2020 will bring. We don't know how much time we have left. and You've got to be real about that. And you've got to be real about saying, if I don't get all of 2020, what will make 2020 meaningful? If I don't see 2020, what will make this meaningful? Those are the types of things we should be seeking. And so Moses ends with the prayer of the needy, sinner the permanence of the everlasting god the problem of the finite person and lastly the prayer of the needy sinner verse 12 the high point of psalm 90 so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom God, help us to have the balance. Help us to have the perspective. Help us to have the priorities. God, help us to put it into perspective that our days are numbered. I don't know how long I'll live. I don't know if I'll see 2020. I don't know if I'll see 2030. I don't know if I'll ever see grandkids, right? Who knows? And so God, if those are the things that we know to be true, that a finite person is living under the realm, the kingdom of the infinite, glorious, everlasting God, help me to live with that priority. Help me with that, God. It is a clear confession that without divine grace, we are utterly foolish concerning the plainest things, meaning we need God's help to understand our days are numbered. We need God's help. to. Un- now, it, it seems like we wouldn't, right? It seems like we would not need God to help us with this, but we do. We struggle so badly with how many days, how many years, how much time we have. I did a funeral just recently where I heard them say, well, I've been meaning to go over there. I've been telling myself for weeks I was gonna go over there and see her. I didn't get to get over there. I did another funeral where I heard them say this. I used to call her I used to call her on every, what did I say? Every Sunday, they said Sunday or Monday. I used to call her every Sunday or Monday for the past couple of weeks I wasn't able to. I was planning on calling her this coming Sunday. Missed it. See, we 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 think that we don't need God to teach us to number our days, to live with the perspective of what really, really, really matters. We think that. But Moses is teaching us here in Psalm 90 that we do. That we need God's help to live life with what really matters. In Matthew chapter six, if you can turn there, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I'm gonna show you something. This is the prayer of the needy sinner of Moses in Psalm 90. In Matthew chapter six, Sermon on the Mount is Matthew five, six, and seven. Best and longest sermon that Jesus ever preached that's recorded. Matthew chapter 6 begins with Jesus talking about giving to the poor. And the end of verse 4 says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is teaching us to live our lives most concerned about what God sees, not what other people see. Now, there are elements to living in ways that we are aware that other people are seeing. But what is more important than that is living in ways that we know God sees. If you jump forward to just verse six, that verse ends, now he's talking about praying, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He then teaches more and more about praying and you jump over to verse 18 and he's talking about fasting and he ends that by saying, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is clearly wanting his disciples to live in a way where God is their focus. Not what everybody else thinks, not what the circumstances create or, or, or cause, but what God sees in us. That's how we should be living You jump down to verse 25, and he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Do you see what he's doing? Jesus is teaching us that the everlasting God cares for us. That knowing and believing in the everlasting God, the Father in heaven, means something. And it does something to us. It settles us down of the worldly worries. Verse 26 of 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, and here's the the point. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Folks, if you're talking about helping the poor, if you're talking about praying, if you're talking about treasures, if you're talking about what you eat, what you'll wear, if you're talking about anything in this life, seek God What does God say? What does God do? How does God feel? How does God respond to this? Does it worship him? Does it honor God? Does this, does this, does this, does that, does that, does that? Everything we've got going on, does it honor God? This should be our mindset to which Matt Perman writing in this book, What's Best Next, says this, Jesus is telling us to operate from priorities. And at the ultimate level, it is not, listen to this, it is not up to you to determine your priorities. Amen. We have one ultimate priority, and it is given to us by God. Seek him and his kingdom first. Folks, that will settle your life. Some of y'all are stressed out over making New Year's resolutions. There's so many things you need to do better in 2020, and some of them you don't think you could do, some of them you don't think you could keep, some of them you made last year and you didn't keep, and all of that, you've got friends that are doing so much better than you, and all of that sort of thing tends to get at us, and that's why we say it's even more depressing. What Jesus is telling us here is you don't need all that. Seek God. And no matter what you're doing, seek God. This is what Moses is getting at in Psalm 90, verse 12. So then his prayer goes on. Verse 13, I'm back at Psalm 90. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. What a prayer that is. A prayer that is that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice that for the rest of your days you were satisfied with rejoicing and gladness in God. That's his prayer. Actually, God, you know, I don't really need any more stuff or things. Don't necessarily need you to control all my circumstances, God. Just help me stay focused on Christ, the sure and steady anchor, the everlasting God. Verse 15 Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Right there, he's just saying, let me see it. Let me be aware. Let my eyes notice all you're doing in me and for me. Let those around me notice all that you're doing in me and for me. Let it be all about you, God. Let my life be about you. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, let you Be in me. Let my life be all about you. Here's his prayer. And he has that prayer in light of the permanence of the everlasting God. Now here's the truth. You cannot just get this focus, foundation, settling on the everlasting God by trying. That would be no different than trying anything. You must trust in Christ that your sins would be forgiven. And through looking to Jesus, God brings you into a relationship with God. You have to believe that God sent Jesus to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven. And in Jesus dying in our place and us believing that, God forgives us of our sins and brings us into his family. And as all of that is going on, us believing, us repenting, us asking for forgiveness, as all of that is going on, God then brings us into a relationship with God where we believe him. God causes our hearts to believe him. God causes us to trust him. God causes us to settle down because we have believed that Christ died died for us that our sins are forgiven and now God is our father do not leave out of here thinking well I'm just gonna keep trying to make God the main thing no turn to Christ ask God for forgiveness say God help me with stop sinning God help my life to be about you through Jesus that's how it's done you get to that when you recognize that God is an everlasting God and that we are sinners that die The answer to that is Jesus. God loves us. Remember when I said earlier that if all you know is that death is penal, that's pretty discouraging? That's why the commentator called it an awful secret, not mentioned yet in Psalm 90. Because if you stop there, it is pretty depressing. But God in his great love has told us that he doesn't want us to die for our sins. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Nobody should be dying the punishment death because Christ already died the punishment death. We believe in what we call in a big word the penal substitutionary death of Christ. Christ died in our place for our punishment. We believe that. He died punished by God for our sins. And if you'll believe it, you escape the judgment. You escape the punishment. You get the everlasting God. Moses is praying for God to help him keep remembering that. When you turn 40, you get real emotional, as I've said. And I've been thinking a lot about all the people in my life that have helped me get to where I am. I'm so indebted and... Honestly grateful for so many people who have loved me and helped me and pushed me and been hard on me and and done all that. One was a man by Mr. David Rogers, lived in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm not really sure how I met him. I only was with him for like one year. Only one year of my life was he in my life, but he was awesome. He was in his mid-50s when I met him and I was in my 20s and he was an attorney. He was doing really, really well. True story here. He was an attorney and was doing really, really well. Drove this sweet BMW, had it all going on. He was a Christian. And he kept finding himself itching more and more and more to make a difference. But he said more and more he realized that I just don't have time to do all the things I want to be able to do for God. Have you ever said that before? I don't have the time to do all the things I want to do for God. So Mr. David Rogers in his 50s made some huge changes. He went to practicing law one day a week. It was enough money to live a humble, middle-class income. Traded in his BMW and drove a Ford Taurus the whole time I knew him. But you know what he did? He spent time on a college campus, I met him. He bought me my first ever systematic theology. He would meet with me and teach me how to read it. Spent time with me, bought me lunch, helped me grow like crazy. Last week, my good friend Woody, who's a missionary with the IMB in France, who was also impacted by David Rogers, my friend Woody called me. He's here on sabbatical, or not sabbatical, on a furlough for a year, They're traveling around, talking to churches. He said, man, you know, I was thinking the other day about David Rogers. You remember him? I said, man, where, where would we be without David Rogers? He said, well, I stopped by the restaurant that we worked at in college, and they told me that David passed away. Me and Woody said, man, what if he was still practicing law? What if he was still just living for Jesus but not trying to have an impact? Now, you might make it to heaven. But What about all the things that God can do through us? What if we say, God, I don't know how many days I have left. What if you pray, Lord, teach me to number my days and give me a heart of wisdom so that I can live for you? The answer would be different for all of us, but that's what God wants. God wants us to say, God, I want my life to count for you. That happens as we seek him. That happens as we realize it's all about him. That happens as we start right away repenting, asking for forgiveness, and putting steps of action toward that. God, help us to seek you with everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Moses' prayer in Psalm 90. And We thank you, God, that here today, it's not gonna ruin our lives when we hear that death is penal. For Christ was punished for us. God, I thank you for men like David Rogers who impacted my life for just one year and who passed away. And that he adjusted his life so that he could do that. Father, I pray that we would ask you to help us have wisdom to put our days in perspective. God, we want our lives to count. We want individuals to be impacted. We want relationships to be strengthened. We want to help people get in your word, help people look to Christ, help people walk in obedience. We want to help people to stop being lazy and stop being disobedient. God, we want to help people to feel settled on the everlasting God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Folks, it's the, it's the, it's the end of the year. It's raining. You're not doing much today. Let's end the year seeking the Lord. Before we even sing right now, I wanna ask every single one of you, if you would, to bow your head. And I wanna take it a step further. If you're able and if you're not able, understand. If you're able, I wanna ask you to get on your knees and turn around. You can turn around like this and lean, lean up against your pew. If you're able to do that, I want you to get on your knees. If you're not, you can sit, keep sitting there and bow your head. But if you're able to get down on your knees, get down on your knees. We're gonna end 2019 seeking the Lord. We don't do this a lot. But I know some of you all have never been on your knees before. I want to help you pray. I want to help you take a minute to say, Lord, teach me to number my days. I want you to pray, God, give me a heart of wisdom. God, satisfy me with your love and help me to be glad all of my days. God, settle my heart with you. God, teach me that other things won't settle my heart. God, I don't know what 2020 will be will bring for me but whatever it brings may I be focused on you let's take about a minute right now of us to just seek the Lord All right, you can all turn around and stand up as we get ready to sing. If you're here today and you've not trusted in Christ, I would ask you to do it. Now's as good a time as ever for you to believe on Jesus, for you to seek him for the forgiveness of sins. What an awesome way to begin 2020 by ending 2019 saying, Christ, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. If you're here today and you've never been baptized and you need to be baptized because you want to identify as a follower of Christ, let us know. We want to help you get baptized. We'll baptize you soon. And if you're looking for a church home, you want to be a part of our church, we want us to love you and you want to love us and you want to be a part of a church that's committed to the word and wants to honor him, then you can do that now. As we sing this final song, let's seek the Lord. Let's say, God, you settle us in our hearts. Let's sing.